Welcome, welcome to the Hermit Style Podcast. With your hosts, Jimmy Bacon and Mike Runchuti. Talking all about the Dragon Ball Super Card Game. Presented by Team TCG Mafia and produced by Lobat. Yo, yo, yo! What's up, everybody? Hermit Style Podcast is back. It is Friday, October 1st, a new month, and uh, a lot going on. Super excited. Sorry this episode dropped a little bit late today. We've been doing a ton of prep work for the Hermit Style World Tournament, which is tomorrow. So if you are listening to this episode right on release on Friday night, there is still time to get in. Even if you're listening to it on Saturday morning, there is still time to get in. We fire off at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tomorrow, October 2nd. And um, you just have to make sure you're in by two. So as long as you get your form in by two and your deck list over, then you are good to go. Uh, it's going to be a really fun time where you have a ton of great prizing. Uh, definitely do not miss it. Uh, it's it's going to be a blast. And if you can't make it, uh, still participate in the stream. I'm going to be doing some different giveaways and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. So definitely, definitely, definitely check it out. Join. It's super easy to join. All you have to do is be in the Discord. If you're not already in there, don't know why you're not, uh, jump in. And there is actually a channel just called Hermit Style World Tournament. So go in there. Uh, the form's there. You can register. And uh, you're all set. But I actually have a really great episode today. I have a special guest on, and we essentially did the next part of deck building. Um, if you all listened to the episode a while back, we did deck building 101. This is essentially to expand on that. So we go into all sorts of different things on deck building. Uh, we go into different things about metagaming and how metagaming and really analyzing and understanding what format you're in can impact some of your deck selection and deck building choices. Uh, so it isn't as cut and dry, I would say, this conversation as last time where it's do these specific things like listing off things to do. This is more trying to get you to open up a little bit more and start thinking about different theories and principles you can apply uh, as you're building these decks. So it was a really, really fun conversation. I had a blast. He's a longtime friend of mine and hopefully you guys enjoy it. I don't, I'm not going to do any other segments today uh, because I still have a ton of work to do actually for the tournament tomorrow as well as some other things we've got going on, which I will drop one more piece of news before we just warp right into the topic of the day or the topic of the week, rather. Uh, we have officially announced the Hermit Style team. So we now have a competitive team and applications are open. So if you would like to join the Hermit Style team, uh, you can apply. We're going to actually break it out into the A team and the B team. Um, a team will be extremely limited in size and it essentially, um, it, it, it's going to be some of basically the top players that apply, right? So this is going to be the cream of the crop. Uh, we're going to have, it, it's, you know, hyper competitive kind of players, um, that are constantly competing, constantly entering large scale tournaments, things of that nature, um, that have shown that they have had positive results. Um, so we want to see that you can consistently top tournaments and things of that nature. Um, there are requirements and qualifications outlined in the discord uh, but there's also a lot of perks and if you are selected we'll go over all those perks um, together and then you can decide if you'd like to accept the offer but yeah it, it, it's going to be a blast this is something that I know has been asked about a lot I've historically been kind of against teams I, I've just never really I don't know it, it's never been a thing that was important to me but 
it kept it kept getting brought up. I know it's important to a lot of you. And I, one of the things that actually motivated me to get this going was I thought, well, what if we do this right? Right. What what if we do teams the right way? Like, I don't want the team just to be a hermit style advertisement. I don't want the team to just be, you know, I know some people just want to be on a team for clout. You know, like they just want the the clout and the pride and the bragging rights of all oh, I'm on this team. Um, I think that's all kind of silly. Uh, but if we can do this and kind of continue to push the, the, the you know, the, what Hermit Style is founded on is really community, right? That's always been the forefront of Hermit Style. It's building this amazing community within the Dragon Ball Super scene. Um, if we can put the community at the forefront of the team and use it as a driving force to continue to improve our community, then I think it's a great thing. Um, so there's definitely, we have a ton of things in the works for that. It's going to be a blast. And if you do not qualify for the A team, like I said, there is a B team. The B team qualifications are much less. Um, you essentially just have to have a top and tournaments like the one tomorrow, Hermit Style World Tournament. I will count those because it's part of our community and that's one of our premier tournaments in our community. Uh, so if you do have a top, that's essentially the the baseline minimum requirement. And then if you have met all requirements and we review your application, we'll you know look look at everyone who applied and then make our selections of who will be picked to join these teams. And the great part is that even if you don't make the cut for either team this time around, or you don't meet the qualifications this time around, we're going to continuously um, have periods of open application where you can apply again. So I'm thinking maybe once every three to four months, we'll throw out another, hey, if you want to apply, we have spots open, and then people can, uh, can send in their form to apply. But I'm actually really excited for it, despite my, uh, you, you, if you're a long time with podcast, you know how I usually feel about teams. I'm actually excited for this. There, there's a lot of cool things we have going on. I've worked out a lot of really cool perks that I've shared with a few select people that agree that they're really cool perks for being on a team. And yeah, I, I think it's going to be fun and just another way to, like I said, strengthen our community. And it's kind of cool. It gives everyone something to work for. You know, if you're in the Discord grinding, getting ready for your first tournament, once you get your first big top, boom, now you can apply for B team. And as you're grinding through B team, you start getting more tops, then hey, maybe eventually you'll make your way into A team. So kind of a cool way to goal set for ourselves as well and continue to push ourselves to be better players. So all in all, when I considered all that, I was like, hey, this is a good thing. It's a positive thing. Let's run with it. Uh, what I hope doesn't happen is that people feel left out and actually, that was at the forefront of our discussions was how do we make sure that this is more inclusive and how do we make sure that the teams give back to the community? So a lot of different things in the works that hopefully will make sure that even if you don't make it, everyone is still a part of the Hermit style, especially in the Discord. And um, that that's the way it will always be. And I think the things that we're putting in place are, like I said, it's just going to strengthen the Discord, strengthen the community, and just keep us pushing to that next level. So I'm excited. I hope you are too. If you want to apply, I dropped a link in the announcements, fill out that form, send it in, and I'll actually be making starting to make selections next week. So I'll be letting you know if you've made the cut. Uh, so yeah, if you have any questions, let me know. But without further ado, guys, I want to jump straight into our main topic. I'm going to get back to work <laughs> on the uh, on the world tournament here. I'll do a quick little outro after this interview is over. And yeah, enjoy. Turtle School Weekly Focus. All right, everybody. So for our main topic today, we have a very special guest, a longtime friend of mine. I think I've known him Probably since the game started, almost like very close to that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. We we have the uh, the the legendary. Ah! 
Zapdos, the electric Pokemon. Zapdos has both electric and fire elements, and the damage of its can Richard Zap, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, my man? Pleasure to talk to you. It's been a little bit too long. I know we, we keep in touch from time to time and catch up a little bit in uh in the Hermit Crab Discord, but it's uh, exciting <laughs> to uh to get to hook up here for a little bit. Yeah, man, for sure. I I'm stoked to have you on. I know we, we had talked about getting you on for like a long time and uh now, now you're here. Yeah, last time we did anything together, we got on a Discord Discord the Discord call looks like November 2017. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. We recorded oh, a, uh, a top 16 deck list video. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember that. It was probably probably set two, set 2.5 format. Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if y'all want to throw back, it's still up. Like, if y'all go to the Hermit yeah. Style YouTube channel and go all <laughs> the way down to the bottom, uh, you will oh, see man. a video of me and Zap going on about one of, probably like it was probably the first set of regionals from ARG. It, it had to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Holy shit, man! Oh, well, I'm excited you're here. That was uh, that's that's funny. That's funny. I like that. I totally forgot about that so you brought it up, and you just like unlocked memories. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to fathom the fact that's too much shy of four years ago. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. That, that was that was the OG the OG hermit style before it before oh. it blew up the first time. <laughs> I wonder and, if I still have my pin. I hope I still have my pin. Oh, my HMG pin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I think I think I have mine. I had a Ginyu pin or something. Yeah. Busted. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, shoot, man. Um for I guess the the listeners, um, I know that this is your first time on the show, so you want to just kind of Introduce yourself, talk a little bit about yourself, what you do. Yeah, totally. So my name is Richard Zapp. I have been an avid Dragon Ball Super card game enthusiast for the duration of the game. I've, uh, I have 2005, so about 16 years of competitive card game experience under my belt. Um, that comes from a combination of Yu-Gi-Oh, Kaijudo, Naruto, and DBS. Um, competitively, I had a lot of success early on. I, I've really winded down a little bit in, in recent years, but I still play Tesla quite a bit with some of my 3XG friends, Matt Coons, Frisco Foss, Jose Mercado, some, some wonderful people. Um, as far as competitively, I've, I've been really playing Unite lately, actually. Pokemon Unite's been a, Oh, a baby. Fantastic. Yeah, we still need to, we still need to connect for that. I know you said yeah, you haven't had a chance yeah. to play it lately, but dying for it, man. It's such a, such a well-designed game. It's my first dev into uh, MOBAs. Um, other than that, uh, Smash Melee. I played competitively quite a bit. Um, professionally, I'm a career coach for a community college. Um, I also teach a massage therapy program for a local community college. I also run an esports program for another local university. I'm also a landlord. Uh, I own a couple rental properties. So uh, add all that to my personal massage therapy practice where I travel to people's homes and small businesses in my local area and pretty much eternally in my head there's a dun dun as I'm trying to juggle work. So it doesn't leave me a lot of time for for nerding out, but I try to uh make some time from time to time. But that's me in a nutshell, Jimbo. busy man. Busy man. That's dope though, man. Um that that's crazy too. Like 
esports has come such a long way that you, like you're literally running a program at a cut. Like that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. We're able to offer student scholarships to to come to school to compete uh, in games, which is a far cry from our parents yelling at us back. In the yeah, day. right. Um, <laughs> you can get off the video game. Jokes on you. you. Can get outside. <laughs> this isn't going to amount to anything. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're over here running a podcast with over what fifteen thousand views now. Yeah, yeah, that's what we just said. Yeah, so man. that's a huge shout out to, to all your fans and supporters. Thank you guys for taking time to support yeah. Jimmy and the crew. It's uh this is a uh, it's a labor of love and far from uh far from an easy thing to do, but you have some of the most uh consistency out there when it comes to content. So oh thanks man. Appreciate that. More power to you, dude. Thank you. Well yeah. uh we've got we have some fun stuff to talk about today. We're deep diving into deck building. Um for listeners of the show, like longer time listeners, if you remember, um, I think it was early in last season of the podcast, early in season three, which was really quite a while ago since we had we had to go on a quick hiatus there. Um, we did Deck Building 101. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I would recommend checking it out uh, because it's going to kind of preface a lot of what Richard and I are, are going to go into to talking about here. But um it, it was really informative and I got a lot of great feedback on it. And I know like way back in the day, like you said, like back in set two, Zap and I, um, we used to play a good bit and, uh, he was always building. Remember when we decks. tried to break promo double strike Goku leader. Oh bro. We, we what? <laughs> tried dog. I was clapping people. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're winning like turn two, turn three. Oh my God. That oh, deck yeah, was amazing. You regional. Didn't you go like X2 no, or something? No, I didn't, I didn't take it to the regional, but I did, oh. I did take it to like a few shop tournaments and did, uh, I was clapping people up. <laughs> people were playing these meta decks and I just came in with draft box Goku. <laughs> yeah. Back when, uh, Mighty Mask and the Unyielding Trunks. Oh my god, that, and that Vegito? Yo, that red Vegito, oh. the dash pack? Mm. Right, like, he like drew two and became like 30,000. Yeah. That, it's killing me. Mm, oh, what was his broken. name? It had Hero in it. It had Hero in it. Dog, I have no idea. Oh, no, he, uh, save, fighting to save the day? Fighting to save the day, yeah. All I could think of was save, Ooh. yeah, there we go, there we go. That, that card it. was nuts. But yeah, oh, that car, that deck was gas. But yeah, so we uh we we've been we worked on some decks together before, and I was like, man, it would be great to have Zap on to go into another deck building episode. And since last one was one hundred and one, this is gonna, it's, I mean, you know, you teach college classes. This is almost like the yeah. next level up. You know, we, we've yeah. gone from your, your freshman classes to your sophomore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, and and I know that one hundred and one. You know, talked a lot about how to approach how to approach thinking about decks and, and, you know, what some of those priorities were, you know, thinking, you know, you talked a lot about some of the, the major archetypes that come within yep. deck building for those of you that are, you know, unfamiliar um, in most card games, there, there's about half a dozen different type major archetypes that, that things fit in on one end. You ha- you have the spectrum um, on one end. You have usually what's referred to as, as aggressive strategies or aggro which tend to be uh, try to defeat the opponent so quickly that they can't use their most powerful cards. And on the other end, you have control, which is try to extend the game so long that there's no way the opponent can find an opportunity to win. You're trying to make the game last long enough that, uh, that you can do the most powerful things and handicap the opponent from doing so. 
And then of course you have things in between. You have, you know, tempo strategies, which try to productively generate you advantage while addressing the game state. Um, you have mid range. Mid range is always a funny thing to talk about because like in 1990s Magic the Gathering, mid range was a reference to an archetype where you tried to use ramp to be able to play your uh, control threats uh, in the in in the mid game, um, and that's really changed. For the most part, it seems like mid range is now actually referred to as ramp, um, but a mid range strategy trying to be something that sits in the middle of that, uh, which has always been fascinating to me. And then of course you have things like combo decks and FDKs and OTKs, and then gimmicks that aren't necessarily trying to win, but trying to do something really 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 cool. Um, I think that's that's the most part of how how decks uh in general card games look is there anything different from from your mindset from that no i i'd agree i mean i think it's it's fairly simplistic like you know at the end of the day you're you have to win the game by taking their life or decking them out so you know there's only but so many ways you can win a match of dragon ball and you're trying to build a deck to do that the best way possible Um, yeah I, i fully agree and i i think i think the other part like as we get deeper into the deck building you know you, you you've been part of communities for card games so you you're well aware of this there's often a lot of discrepancy around well this deck isn't competitive uh this deck is, isn't good um and what never really comes up in those conversations are what the actual goal is with the deck right yep. like if the goal is is how do i take this obscure leader and how do i put the best cards into it it doesn't matter if if my yellow go 10 liter is worse than <laughs> gohan icarus the fact is, is i just want to see how good i can make this go 10 deck and and when you get constructive feedback like well you need to change the leader entirely that that defeats the goal and i think if you're finding yourself getting bad feedback anytime you're talking to anyone about deck building the big thing you need to do is make sure you're aware of what your goals are and the person you're getting feedback from is giving you feedback in line with those goals. I, I see that misstep all the time. Yeah, I agree. And e- even just in a broader spectrum, e- just feedback in general, you don't always have to, like, feedback is feedback for a reason. It's not something that you have to do. It's not necessarily good or bad. But, take you know, take take it in and and see what you want to do with it. Not every single piece of feedback you get from every stranger on the internet <laughs> is going to be correct about the deck that you were trying to build. It shouldn't be weighted equally. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, and honestly, Zap, one of the one real one thing that I've always really respected about you and your approach to deck building is and I we did a whole episode on this, like it was one of our, one of my first episodes. Um, but just challenging the norm, not falling in line with what everyone is doing and like questioning, like even something as simple as you run four super combos. Sure. Yeah, obviously. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to run four super combos. No shit. But the fact that you can still challenge that and say, okay, but why? What, for what premise? Like, is there a deck out there that I don't need to, or is this the correct super combo to run? Um, and that, that's something I've always really respected about you because I feel like you have always challenged the norm. You've always gone out of your way to say like, okay, well, why are you saying always? Why does this always have to be a thing? This doesn't always have to be in my deck, you know, and obviously super combos, we're, we're going to play them. But the point is just the way you think, like, it's just the way you think about it. Yeah, there, there, there's a rationale to it. You know, if, if you're playing a deck where it's 
I need to draw this card for turn five, so, and I, then I win the game. Super combos that draw make it more likely you're going to get into those cards. So making sure you have an actual logic and rationale, because at the end of the day, no one is objectively correct, right? Like, like deck building is an art. Uh, metagaming isn't you, you can't actually metagame right you you, you make it you you're, you have a hunch read this is how i think people think of the game this is what i think people are going to do with that knowledge and then if you're taking it a step further this is how i think i'm going to react to what people are doing right. but those are all hunches those are all suspicions i can say a b and c are the best deck in the format and if i prepare for a b and c if i have winning matches up against those three decks maybe i can make the claim that i win the tournament but i can't control if i actually get those matchups at any course of the day yeah yeah you know, no that, that was... that's 100% fair i remember uh when mike went to nats the one year is when um oh man i'm trying to remember i don't i don't even remember which one it was anyways i don't even remember what deck he was playing but he played this deck because he knew that it had a great matchup against what most people were considering to be the best deck at the time. And then this had to be the second Nats because we were already in set seven. His first round, he plays set seven Zamasu. And he's playing a deck that like has to charge up and he's like, oh, well, like, screw me. Like, <laughs> no, I, had, I had the same experience at, at the Origins back in 2019. Um, I was playing Yellow Dende. Matt and I were... Uh, we decided to play the exact same list of 65. It was like 2.30 in the morning and I had like a sheet sub in my hand and I was just pacing around <laughs> trying to decide what I wanted my last side oh, deck card to sheets. be. We, we could agree on it. Bro, hold on, hold on. Was there a <laughs> Wawa close by? No, okay. no. Okay, all right. I'll let it slide then. PA and, and uh, Ohio. That might not have even, even been, but and anyways. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so Carry we, on. Like, we, wrote on this, yeah, we wrote on this premise and it was uh, we win every matchup except one deck. I think it was like HOM. Um, and as long as we don't encounter A or B deck, um, this deck should be poised to be really, really successful. Um, I We both, he got his first two matchups were the two matchups we felt the strongest about. Uh, my first two matchups were the two matchups I felt the worst about. <laughs> he got like fourth place in the tournament. I, I went like 0-3 cheers and, and <laughs> left. <laughs> Dog, it's, but like, it's like that sometimes. It's just, yeah. it's card games. Exactly. But that was one of the tournaments I probably felt the best about in the history of all, oh, all man. card Because <laughs> I, I could move my ego away from that, right? And I, I had this theory. If we play these matchups, if we don't play these matchups, I think these are the ones that are going to be the most common. This deck has a formula for success. Right. Um, we both had very divergent uh, variances there. Um, but the objective data, because we had a larger sample size, because we played the same 65 illustrated that idea right. was correct yeah and, and that's being results oriented is is such a, a fool's errand in this just in card games in general like think about it you sit down at a table uh you can control what deck you come up against you can't control your draws for all you know you're going into that game knowing that there is zero percent chance of you winning just based on the actions that they're going to make and the actions you're going to make no matter what you do and you have this illusion of, I could have made better decisions, um, but sometimes the game just isn't winnable. Um, but what you can control is how good of decisions you make. Um, most people play card games because the majority of the time, if you make enough good decisions, you should win the game. Um, but that's a byproduct. It's the same thing like uh, 
you know, investing and saying, uh, my goal was to make a million dollars. It's not the most efficient goal to function on. Um, but what you can do is you can make good investment decisions. What stocks in your timing? And you say, if I time well enough, if I, if I plant enough bricks, eventually I'll build a wall. Um, you make good decisions again and again and again and again. And that, you know, that's the formula for success. And in deck building, I, I think you can follow a similar premise. Um, but you can't look at the win-lose ratio. You really have to come up with a theory and then build and act to that theory. No, very well said. Very well said. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I, I, know, I know something we talked about back in the day, too, was the idea of building to top versus building to win. Yeah. Because those those goals in and of themselves are very, very different. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. There's... There's decks that I like, you know, you're consistently going to see them in top cut and you know that once you hit top cut, you're going to see that matchup. You can't win. And that deck is never actually going to take down that tournament. Right. But what, what you, you don't know about are the 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 set seven Zamasu's just <laughs> running around that you have to get through uh, the first two, three, four rounds. Right. I, I I always refer to it as the jungle. Right. You, you don't know what kind of wildebeest or antelope no. you're going to find running down there. Once you climb up the tree to the later rounds and you get to the canopy when you're in that X1, <laughs> you, you know there's only monkeys and birds up there. Yeah, right. That, <laughs> but you, you have to start from the bottom to go up. And, and I've always took the philosophy of if your goal is to go to an event to get first place, getting, getting to Swiss um, is, is more of an RNG concept because you, you can't predict matchups as well. So you almost have to go into it on the premise of let's make the assumption I do well in Swiss. How do I pick the best choices to win top cut? Right. Because unfortunately, in most formats, you can't cover the whole spectrum. So you have to say, I hope I get lucky those first four rounds and I can predict the latter half. But if your goal is just to go X2, just to get that invite, um, then you have a lot of liberty where I can say, as long as I have a plan for these main strategies, I can use my side deck choices elsewhere. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, no, definitely. Um, so as far as, um, so as far as like just deck building in general, right. But when we did this episode before, we looked at really basic things. Like we looked at on top of just categorizing, these are the kinds of decks we really talked about like ratios, you know, how to properly build. We talked about proper play testing, gold fishing, things like that. We talked about, no, you have to know the meta. If you're playing a deck that's just immediately going to get bodied by the top decks, so maybe you beat set seven Zamasu, <laughs> but you get bodied by every top deck. It's obviously not a good choice. So we, we, we really only scratched the surface um, as far as the, the, the deck building goes. Um, and I know with you and, and breaking them down in different archetypes, what you were saying is you don't really use that same system anymore. Do you want to kind of talk on that? Yeah, totally. So Dragon Ball Super is interesting, um, in large, cause it's one of the few games out there that doesn't have summoning sickness. You can, you can play a battle card and you can attack with it in the same turn with almost every card in the game. And that's very unusual. Plus, the way most of the leaders in the game are designed, you are rewarded for declaring attacks. Um, and in a lot of ways, between the combo system and, and how much you draw, um, even your control strategies 
you're still declaring um, multiple attacks each turn. So that, that's a little paradoxical, right? Um, but on the flip side, when you think about a, an aggressive strategy and you consider it in concept of the combo phase, uh, aggro is actually a form of control too. I attack you very quickly. I get you down to one, two, three life. I'm swinging with single, double, triple strikes. And now you have to decide what cards you can afford to combo off while still having a way to win the game yourself. Man, one of my favorite DBS players um, from back in the day was Nick Brady. I don't know if you know Nick. Um, I, 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 I know of the legend. Okay, yeah, NFB. <laughs> um, but one of my favorite things that he said was he was playing the um, he was playing red blue crit Very Vegeta. Blue no, oh, crit Vegeta, okay. crit Vegeta, red, red blue yeah. crit Vegeta, the hyper aggressive one in the yeah, yeah. first. I think it was the first ever regional. He went undefeated mm -hmm. through Swiss day one. And we were talking about it because someone was talking about they were playing a hand control deck and he was like, I'm playing the best hand control deck. <laughs> and the guy was like, it's mm -hmm. an aggro deck. He was like, yeah, I'm playing the best hand control deck. You're going to have to combo out of all these attacks. That's the same thing as me saying discard a card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's and when you think about that, how aggro has control elements and control has aggro elements, it it doesn't make a lot of sense to use those terms in my head. Um, so what I've actually transitioned to is think of it in terms of the Pokemon games, where in a competitive format, most of their decks fall on a spectrum from hyper aggression to uh, full stall. Um, for those of you familiar with Pokemon. Uh, hyper aggression would look something like playing five different dragons, knowing that once you eliminate their steel type, now they don't have any resistance to dragons, so you can go all in. While stall would be something where I'm just going to switch every other turn and use my spikes and my stealth rocks, and eventually you'll just wear yourself down, and I'm not going to take damage because I make good good predictions. Because of the the that nature of everything having to attack in DBS, I really think that makes a lot of sense. So uh, you, you have like a one of the end of a spectrum. I'll refer to a deck as hyper aggressive, um, often being an, an aggressive strategy, trying to play multiple battle cards and trying to take their life as much as possible with the intention of using their life as an additional hand resource um, to try to use that to cultivate your extra advantage. Um, then as you start slowing down a little bit, you have what I call a balanced offensive deck, which is a deck that does try to uh, maintain defense um, and have some defensive options, um, but doesn't mind going into a longer game. But more often than not, it's using it in its energy for attacking than for defensive or reactive cards. From there, you have a, ba a, a balanced defense which is still attacking um, I, the, the yellow Gohan Icarus, which I, I think is, uh, you know, kind of the boogeyman right now. Right. Yep. Um, I, I call that a balanced defensive deck. Um, the leader still tries to attack. The leader picks up its life. But once it gets to four life, you're trying to resolve Violent Rush. You're trying to resolve Sensu Beans defensively. And you're, you're playing more of your cards on the opponent's turn than on your turn. And then as you move from that balanced defense you have semi-stall, which is like, I only attack when I need to draw a card. So maybe that's, I swing with my leader um, to get the plus one when he swings. Uh, but other than that, I'm I'm big chilling. Maybe uh, uh, UW2 Blue Baby would be a, a good example of that. Sure. 
Um, and then you have full stall, which is I have a win condition. My goal is to cultivate this field or this combination of cards, and I'm just not going to do anything until then. And I think Cell Surge and Invoker would be good demonstrations of that. The leader doesn't need to attack. I'm playing almost all my cards defensively, and I'm building up for this board state of uh, three cost Red Blue Vegeta, Rival Seeker Goku, going up Kaplos back in the day, or get to all four of my Ribriands, burn your hand, leader ability, get a crit guy in the field with Cell Surge, and go in. Um, and then with the exception of like combo, which kind of falls under that that stall category. Um, that's really how how I view most decks, and I've been trying hard to use that terminology because I, I think conceptually it it makes more sense. That's so that's that's really cool, man. That's really unique, and I've never heard people break it down like that for DBS. Um, that that is incredible how do you how do you take that and use that to your advantage like how do you take that mindset and say okay i'm am viewing it in the and you know in this regard in this spectrum i put all these decks on the spectrum how do you use that then to say okay i'm going to utilize this and create this deck that i think can take on a tournament that i think has these good matchups or like what what do you do with that information at that point yeah so really it once I, I, I look at an archetype on that end of the spectrum, that's really helping me determine what about the most expensive card that I have in, in terms of uh, applicable energy, right? Like the, the yellow 8-drop Son Goku, he's an 8-drop, but I'm really playing him on, f- on 4 for 3 yellow when I have a unison on the board. Um, SS3 Dragon Fist, I think it is. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at cards like that. I'm saying, okay, well, how many, how many cards at high should I play? If I'm playing, you know, pre-banless King Vegeta, I know I can't play any cards that high because if, if I'm hitting four energy, my decks you probably lost. It all kind of- <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if I'm playing Blue Baby and I know I'm leaning heavily into turning the tide, um, you know, uh, I probably need Dizzle. to pop- <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> But I'm I'm also trying to think. Okay, well then, wh- what am I doing on turn five? What am I doing on turn six? Um, think about things like that um when i'm looking at the, those kind of balanced offensive balanced defense strategies um either usually there's either i'm going to cultivate a large advantage and just win through card advantage or there's i'm trying to work towards one card like when people use the term mid-range um in a traditional sense the only deck that has ever felt to me like truly mid-range was red green clash coup back like set six seven eight yeah like your goal was get to turn five in a in a three to six three to seven turn format i get to turn five i have 20 cards in the drop i worked towards this middle game threat this was the one way i'm primarily winning you know 90 percent of my games i'm gonna play it i'm gonna rip your hand and i'm gonna swing a couple times hopefully that's good enough um but when it comes to a balanced offense balanced defense you know, those are about the turns that I'm usually trying to win the game. And I'm asking myself, well, am I trying to win the game through through raw advantage? Um, and if that's the case, I need, I'm asking myself, where are my double strikers? What am I using to get three to zero and two to zero? Um, and if it's not through raw advantage, then I'm looking at what is that win condition I'm working for? And then what cards am I playing 
to facilitate drawing that card, uh, to playing the card effectively. And then finally, what cards am I including to make sure when I get to do my my trick, it goes off without a hitch. So something like uh, Beer's Ball to make sure you stop the the green boot hopo. Sure. You know, that's not yeah. a card that's out. It's not the first card I'm adding to my list, right? Yeah, um, no, my, right. Leader, my, my super combos, my win cons. But when I have four or five cards left in my deck slots, um, I'm probably asking myself, what cards can my opponent use that would really screw me over? Well, what can I do to to answer that? Okay, that that makes a lot that's, of sense. That's a really long winded answer to. No, you know, yeah, no, I, that 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 makes a lot of sense though because I was just thinking I recently participated in um, Fight Night from the Dragon Ball Super League. Um, mm-hmm. They're uh, the the Canadian boys running it, and nice. we had the you have to make. I don't know if you're familiar with um, their Fight Nights. But I'm not too familiar enough. Basically, it's a best of three format and it's literally a fight night. So like they pair you against someone and hype it up like a fight card, like it's on like UFC or something. Okay. And it's best of three, but it's three decks. So like game one, you're playing a deck and then game two, you play a completely different deck. Um, So and their whole thing is to kind of promote creativity. So, of course, I brought Blue Oob because that's my boy. And uh, that was that was what I opened with. And. When I was building that deck, though, I was like, okay, this deck kind of sucks a lot. <laughs> like, right, like, <laughs> like, yeah, <it's> <laughs> like, well, I'm just, it's, it's like, you know, World Martial Arts Tournament was how long ago? Like, you know, it, it's not a very up to date kind of deck, but I was like, okay, first, what can I do to facilitate a strategy to bring this up to speed? And I was, and I saw the, the Tapion skill list with the new trunks, Calamity and Chilled. And I was like, okay, bet. These are blue cards that can help me push pace. I would say, Oob, if I'm using your thing, probably more of like a balanced or uh, balanced offensive kind of strategy. Yeah, and um, I was like, okay, so I'll use this to push pace a game. And then I will um, just play like my old school Oob list where everything was like really low to the ground, minimal energy. If I feel like I can push, I push. If not, I back off and play my little announcers and draw cards, gain advantage. And then when I need to push for game, how do I stop that? And I was like, oh shit, I need absolute release ball. That's probably like my only out to anything. <laughs> so the release ball, if, if you're, if I was making a list of like five most underrated cards in the game right now, that's absolutely, that might be at the top of the list. It's definitely a top five. Yeah. No, the, the card is sweet. The card is sweet, bro. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. And then it's like, you know, but it's like, how do I, cultivate then i was like okay well i'm get, i need to play like multiple fdc because i'm a i'm a double strike you with oob when he's like 30k yeah. on the turn i'm going off uh right and like but it, all those things are going through my head like okay how do i get here how do i bring this up to speed and then how do i make sure that like you said what i my little trick you know when i swarm the board out of nowhere awaken my leader, untap two energy, and I have access to like five energy that turn with sensu beans. How do I make sure that I kill you that turn and it goes smoothly? So then you, you start playing those cards like absolute release ball to try and help you in that uh, that strategy. Yeah, and I, I think a common mishap that some people do with deck building too. The priority, the majority of the time, um, is what's your win condition or possibly what's your curve. Um, when you're building a curve based deck, you know, it's ideally, I want to play this card turn two, this card turn three, this card turn four, and then maybe your other slots are, what's my backup if I don't see that card on two, what's my backup if I don't see that card on three. But with, with the exception of that, usually the mindset is what's my win condition? Um, how can I generate advantage and how can I draw those cards 
And then it's what do I need to reassure that I win the game? And then what do I need to assure that I don't lose the game? And I think something that people do is they take that last idea and they prioritize it really, really high. They, yep. they, they shove yep. too many negates yep. in their card. They worry way too much about zero fives until they've got a chance to play the deck. Because um, playing to lose, when you when, like that even happens in game, even separate from deck building. I've, there's been so many games where like there's a clear win con and like 95% of the time you have game, but then people don't pull the trigger because they're afraid of that 5% chance that that you know, Eddie St. Hilaire ha- has the heroin lineage as the one card in his yeah, hand. Yeah. Um, but you, you understanding, you know, you should have that, you know, dead to rights. Um, but that comes to deck building too. Under understanding, you you have to focus on winning, um, or your your deck is second tier. Like it's is where the priority is. I think. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And just make it's it's you also have to make sure you can feasibly play what's in your deck too. I see a lot of time, mm-hmm. like even you said, like you're jamming in these cards so you don't lose. And sometimes I start jamming in cards and I'm like, can you actually play all these? Like, are these actually going to mm-hmm. pop off? Like, can you like reasonably play this card in this deck? And a lot of times it's such like a niche situation that they have it in for. And it's it's like overcompensating for something that happened mm-hmm. to them one time. And it'll probably happen one out of every a thousand games. Yeah, exactly. And when you're trying to make cuts in a deck and it's that's what I ask myself. Like, what turn do you intend on doing this? And then why do you intend on doing it that turn? Oh, well, I play this one-off card uh, in case uh, they they blow up my field on turn three, or if I don't see one of these eight cards that I, I normally try to play on that turn. That's my, my backup to my backup to my backup plan. And at, at some point, those are the cards that when you need to find something to make space for to get from 53 to 50, um where's the most redundancy uh what's a what's a primary plan what's a secondary plan and then what's a tertiary plan that is more likely to belong in the side deck yeah yeah i I agree i definitely agree that's um sorry continue no no go ahead go ahead i was just gonna gonna blabber (laughs) yeah no i was gonna say side decks are an interesting thing too uh when i Anytime I play test, I almost always just do main decks. Unfortunately, with the guys, we only have time for for one or two games, as sitting once or twice a week if we're lucky. Um, but when I when I do play or when I'm thinking about side decks for a tournament, usually my paradigm is if I'm playing a fifty card deck, uh, when I'm making my deck list, I I, I make a pile of sixty five cards. Um, I build intending for sixty five, and then whenever it comes time to making the side deck, I ask myself what fifteen cards um do i not do i want game one the least a lot of people take this opposite decision of how do i what's the perfect 50 and then uh three cards for this deck two cards for that deck four cards for that deck but you know you you're you have a koetsukai mechanical courage and you're like well this would be good against uh launch and it would be good against gohan icarus uh and it would be good against every arrival deck in the format and like you go on so long and you're like oh i just listed 80 percent of the decks in the format mm-hmm. and then you go yep. okay well maybe i should just main the card if i if i'm gonna yeah. want it almost how often do you hear in a deck profile they're like yeah i cited this in every like every every time i cited this in and it's like yeah that but you like don't say that propping yourself up that means you made like a, a bad call right <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> but no, they're they're uh, 
they'll fill themselves for sure. Um, so no, I, I agree with you. And that's why I think it's important. Um, and we had hit on this some in the, in the first episode. And I, I think it's good to expand on this concept is building with a building with a complete 65, I think is important. And I think knowing what your options are, what you'll move in and out of the deck, because I've had also multiple times where I'm building and, and it, I would say a similar situation, but also slightly different. So if I'm building a deck and I, I look at my 65 and I know that I'm want to side this card in like X amount of times, sometimes I'll make a cut from my main list and just move that card to the main deck, slim my deck down and just start with that in there. So I'll start with a card that maybe I should sideboard but I'm at 49, 48 cards and I'm like, okay, well, I, I think I will side this in most frequently. I'll keep this in. And then it's an easy side out. Should I need, you know, should it, should it not be as relevant, but I've had multiple times where my list changes as soon as I look at my full 65. And like you said, with Koitsukai, that's a perfect example. Cause you'll look at it and say, okay, I'll probably side this in frequently. I'm just going to main two. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense, this idea of thinking about what, the, what your matchups are and how do you prepare for that. And that kind of comes back to that goal setting with, with the deck bone. Are, are you playing to top or are you playing to win? Uh, when you are playing to top, uh, those game ones are so, so, so important because every time you get a draw right now, just the way the Swiss games have been going, it, it, it feels like it's almost impossible to, to top. Um, so really wanting to be decisive and winning those game ones in case the game doesn't in game two doesn't even finish is so 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 important however if you're playing to win if you're being greedy and you want the whole enchilada uh then you need to accept that against some of those slower matchups uh i don't expect to play more than one or two hatchyaks um but i'm gonna hope that i don't see those to top cut where maybe the time time rules are a little more flexible um and making those determinations too um the other part of it, I think, too, is when it comes to side decking, people like to really fixate on the um, this is my 55-45 matchup. As long as I win the coin flip or as long <laughs> as I, I'm a little bit better, um, it, it should be about even. Uh, but I'm going to take these two or three slots to make this 53-47, make it a whole 55-45. And math, math says that's <laughs> not worth it. Um, <laughs> get the most value you can out of things. That always um, cracks but, me up too, because I'm like, have you have you really tested enough to know these numbers, like these percentages? <laughs> like, yeah, it's. I would say almost every time is people just pulling a number out of their ass. Like, oh yeah, bro, right. it's like you know seventy thirty, and I'm like, right, okay, okay, all right, yeah. sure. <laughs> okay, so so this is what it means. When people say 50-50, they mean whoever wins the dice roll usually wins. Or uh, the better player wins. Which <laughs> meaning that they have a winning record in the matchup. Uh, 60-40 is I need to win the dice roll. Um, otherwise, if, if I'm winning the dice roll, it's even. Um, and 70-30 uh, just feels like I win almost all the time. Like, like that, That's generically what they're trying to say. Yeah, all this yeah. So usually when I'm trying to think of like what what those bad matchup techs are um it it depends a little bit on what my goal is if if my goal is to win uh then i'm specifically including the cards that are going to help game one and top cut um if i'm just playing to top 
if there is a matchup that is 75, 25, 60, 40, uh, more than 60, 40, like if it feels like I don't have a good shot at it. Um, but if those cards get me 10, 12, 15 percentile movement, if I can say, if I draw two copies of Dark Power, Black Mass Saiyan, I know I'm going to win the game um, against my worst matchup. That may justify, you know, including those three copies, those four copies in, uh, in the game one. But at some point, you're going to say, unfortunately, my mill deck is not going to beat Vajex, and it doesn't matter what I do. Um, at that point, you say, all right, well, I just hope I don't get that matchup, but my main deck is going to be for the other decks in the format. And it's, I think it's really important to be honest with yourself there because a lot of times I'll see people citing a certain card and they'll be like, well, you know, th this is my worst matchup. So they'll like side this card in because it's my worst matchup. And that's their only reason is this is my worst matchup and it helps. If it helps, but you still lose, what's the difference? <laughs> you know, like sometimes you just have to chalk it up to an L and be real honest with the deck that you're taking and what the matchups are. And that's because at that point it's wasted space. You only have a 15 card side deck and siding, yeah. is, I think is one of the, sometimes can be some of the hardest things depending on the format, especially mm -hmm. when it's wide and to just throw out a space because you're like, well, this is my worst matchup. I think that's just the, you should have the complete opposite mindset. <laughs> yeah. So think about this in an eight round tournament. So let's say hypothetically your worst matchup. I ask you, how many times do you expect to get this matchup? And you'll say, I, I, there's no way I get it more than once in, in, in eight rounds of Swiss, but I'm really afraid of it if I do. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll change these five cards, and it gives me a 10% chance of, of the matchup being better. Um, there's only a 12.5% chance of you getting the matchup in the first place in eight rounds. <laughs> uh, like, like eight rounds you're stressing about one game. Right. What about the other seven? Right. Um, you know, there, there's, some, there's some mathematical fallacies there, but, but conceptually that idea of how much mileage are you actually planning on getting and what's more important to you, the Swiss games or the top cut games. All right. So to, to pull back a little bit, uh, let, okay. So I just want to get in your head a little more. Let's say you're just building a deck, right? Um, well, we've got a couple events coming up, right? We've got Nats is obviously the biggest event coming up. And then there's still a few regional tournaments left. We have the Richmond, Virginia regional, which is starting to catch some hype. It's a, it's a two fifty two hundred. 56 person capped event. I don't know if we'll really hit that. Yeah, I was hoping to go, but unfortunately, it's my wife's birthday that weekend. So. <sighs> Doesn't she? Want to, she wants to play Dragon Ball. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> she said that once in the last four years. I'd be excited. Uh, no, good, good choice. Smart man. <laughs> uh, I am sad that I won't see you, though. Uh, but anyways... So we've we've got these like two major events. So um, are are you going to Nats? I don't even know. This just crossed my mind. Still up in the air. Um, in I, the air. Okay. I I have a bunch of vacations scheduled November December. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what logistically makes sense. But gotcha. Um, I'd love to. <laughs> well, either way, we we can use Nats as an example, I guess, because that's probably what yeah. people want to hear the most about. So let's say you're you are right now deck building for Nats. We've talked about some different principles on how we define decks in the format how we start building towards those what is like going through your mind right now if you're to start just picking up a deck start building a deck of your own to take to like the highest tier of competitive play so the first thing i ask myself is what kind of format are we in um it's 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 a lot more ambiguous what the mindset is if it's a 
format, you know, with, with the next set, it's, it's hard. Do you, um, do you want to break down let's, let's real quick take, what the, what the different formats would be? Yeah. I know yeah, we had talked so, about that a little bit. Yeah. So I, I look at formats in one of three ways. We, I have King of the Hill, Revolving Door, and uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors. So a King of the Hill format, I generally identify as there being one deck that is very, very clearly better than everything else. And your goal is to either play the best version of that deck and win the mirror, or see if there's an answer in the format to, uh, to overcome it. Every once in a while, there's a little bit of a world where um, there's a bit of a spectrum where one deck hard counters the, the king of the hill, uh, but then it loses to every single other thing in the format. Um, we haven't had too many of those. Um, I would say no. the one time we did was like... Um, so I think this, this King Vegeta deck, uh, the aggro deck, I never got a chance to actually play with it, but you know, people saying they were winning on turn two consistently, you know, that, that's, that's a really good example of the King of the Hill. You, know, you have a very clear boogeyman, and it's, you either play the deck or you play what hard beats the deck. Um, but, you know, that smaller kind of spectrum, um, actually, I think back to Mecha Apes, old school Mecha, uh, okay. where it was like, you, you could play Mecha Frieza, you could play the, uh, the veggies, or you could play the apes. Uh, but then there was a Masked Saiyan, OG Masked Saiyan, which randomly had a decent matchup against, uh, Mecha, but, but could barely hold a, you know, a light to everything else. Um, so that that's one mindset, and, and if that's the type of format that I think I'm going into, I'm trying to decide: do I want to be the person, or do I want to find the answer? Uh, the longer that format exists, the less likely there is that there's an answer. Um, people that pride themselves in their deck building skills, uh, they tend to uh, commit to ego and uh, try to find the answer, and I think that's a fallacy that that people make. Um, the second format that i see is is a rock paper scissor format and that is effectively where uh there are traditionally three decks in the format um of of similar power levels when we were first playing (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so honestly yeah that's probably the best example of a rock paper scissors that we've seen uh so in that format you had a vegeta deck uh that was able to use double strike and critical to take the life out of og mecha frieza um Mecha Frieza was able to use Cold Bloodlust to negate the uh, Perfect Force Cell from discarding hands. Uh, and then Perfect Force Cell was really good at destroying the large hands that the Vegeta deck uh, generated through their its aggressive, aggressive strategy and picking up all its life. Um, so from there, you almost have to decide, um, you know, at a micro level, even though that rock, paper, scissors sounds like 33, 33, 33. In actuality, it's not. So one deck building decision is figuring out how can you get an edge? How can you make uh, that 60, 40 losing, you know, your rock on paper? Um, what can you do to make that closer to 50, 50? Or you try to find a deck that somehow fits in between two slots and see if you can utilize that to, to bridge the gap. Um, so like in, you know, in that format, Androids uh, was a popular deck that tried to do a lot of the things that the Cell deck would, um, but it would also have the opportunity to play cards like Saiyan Kaba, 
uh, to be a more aggressive life-oriented deck. Um, similarly, you had Soul Striker that tried to sit pretty and playing the powerful blue cards like Unyielding Spirit Trunks and uh, Sensu Bean, uh, but also got to play cards for free, similar to how Mega Frieza did. So in that format, there are cards that kind of sat perfectly within that rock, paper, scissors. And I think that's why people call that the GOAT format, because um, we never had something with, that was that defined. Um, and, that, and then you the, topped in that one with Androids, right? You made top I did. four? I did. Uh, yeah. uh, no, top uh, top 32. Amani Edwards gave me the, the hands. Uh. One of the cool Dragon Ball Super. Um, <laughs> Uh, such a cool guy but but yeah that was that was the rationale behind behind that it was actually a really a really interesting list uh it played five blue cards in the deck which people thought i was crazy for back in the day i remember it, yeah <laughs> um but it yeah it was it was a really cool innovation i just saw isaiah do something really similar with his beerus list where he was playing the blue bulmas to get uh red or red yellow weeses so he could fix his energy or get whichever oh, one. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh that yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that that threw me way back. Yeah, that was like when people were using them to get the trunks. Yeah. The exactly. the green the green one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then the the last major format that I think about is what I call a revolving door. So a revolving door sounds similar to a rock, paper, scissor format. Um maybe there's more than three decks, maybe there's less than three decks. Um, they're all of similar power levels in terms of being uh, escalated higher than everything else, but the matchups in and of themselves are much more swingy. Instead of being 55, 45, 60, 40s, there's like 70, 30s, and 80, 20s through in there for you know using our arbitrary numbers we love to use. So what happens is you kind of have to guess, okay, everybody's playing Blue Baby. Um, so people beat the Blue Baby by playing the Black Gogeta Zeno and using true fighting spirit to beat that but then the black decks they lose to king cold because of dormant potential unleashed uh but then those cards lose to blue decks using zeno unison to get rid of all the field cards but then those blue decks you know aren't as well as uh baby and then it kind of goes on in this big rotating door and you have to ask yourself what part of the door are you going to be in front of when it comes to your event uh, figuring out what deck has the most momentum and then trying to make the determination of am I going to be, am I going to ride the momentum and try to outplay mirrors or am I going to try to predict, possibly over predict what's, wh- what's going to beat what's coming next and, and see if I can get an edge that way. Um, and th- those are the three major ways that I, I okay. look at formats and try to prepare for them. Okay, cool. Um, so then so let's let's apply it right so right now we're looking at nats everyone's trying to figure out you know what to play what's going to be there things like that what what kind of format do you think we're in and what are you trying to use to kind of leverage that to help you with your choices right now good question so so i let me ask you what when when you're thinking about nats and preparing for richmond and things what decks are are at your forefront right now in terms of i need to have a game plan for these. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I feel like the last few events have shed a little bit more light. I felt like everyone was kind of wondering what was going to happen. Um, it was funny because everyone for a little bit was saying, was talking about starter coup. Right. And then we see top cuts and it's nowhere to be found. 
uh, which I just thought was funny. But anyways, uh, we got SS4 Vegeta and Starter Q, I think, are like the two big blue decks in the room that people are talking about. We've got Gogeta Zeno and Hatch, probably the two black decks. Uh, we've got Cell Search. Um, and then, you know, the, the Kid Gohan deck, I think, are probably the top six that are in my mind that immediately pop in my head as, yeah, I'm going to see these when I play. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty holistic, and that's that's pretty much where I'm at. There's a couple decks that I think... Uh, I'm surprised I don't see more play. I think launch is really good right now. Um, I wonder how good blue baby is. Um, I think it's, I think it's good. Um, I, it's hard because I feel like we talked, I talked about this on a recent episode too. I I feel like the hit put everyone off of it, but I don't think it weakened it enough to where it's like not a deck. Like it's still a deck. It's definitely still a deck. Yeah. I remember Broly of top regionals too. Like, like that deck. Yeah. Clearly has, has a ton of momentum and uh i was actually testing a a red green volley deck that uh was actually really capable of winning games turn two um but on the games that you go second it's it doesn't have any any legs um but yeah so so i think um so let's let's look at that a little bit so the initial judgment was everybody was like oh wow uh blue was relatively unscathed through the emergency list let's uh soul striker is going to be the nuts yeah. so then so that that's that's the first part of your revolving door right so then you ask yourself how do i beat uh soul striker goku you know what the answer to that is apparently everyone did you just play the <laughs> game <laughs> like, yeah, <what? laughs> yeah. I, so i i think it's specifically zamasu the eliminator i think uh zamasu stopping them from playing the unison puts them back like a whole turn and then they don't get to awaken yeah, I, I'd agree with that. So, yeah. So then the question was, what's well, the and, best and, and I mean, even like, and it's crazy because that card, not to derail us too much, but that card just even popping up in rogue decks is allowing rogue decks to shine too. Like our, our boy Bruce in the Discord, he made, I think like 10th place or something like that with yellow Bojack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, I just kept playing Zamasu and he couldn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like that, that card, like, so in my opinion, that card is what's, defining the format right now right where we're we're playing a game where uh most of these decks are trying really hard to play a unison and uh that is the best card for saying uh batman so so you ask yourself what's the what are the best decks to play zamasu in um you know we saw andrew Duvall uh play set 10 zamasu um of course the gohan icarus deck that you know, Joey pioneered quite some time ago that um, makes a ton of sense now with with Mecca out of the game. Right. It's, um, so so that's where I see the format at right now. So the things that I'm asking myself is because I still think Soul Striker is, is a huge threat. Um, I think I think ignoring Zamasu, um, I think Soul Striker is is the best leader in the game. Um, but so the question you asked yourself, and you know, maybe we've seen a bit of a turn from that too, where that was where Cell Cell Surge found its its space. It could also manage some of these blue decks well. So it's how do you beat the decks that are playing Zamasu the Eliminator? Um, but how do you also have a check for Soul Striker? Um and what, the other What blue is decks your eliminator, right? <laughs> yeah, precisely. Um and what's hard about that card is 
there's not a whole bunch of ways to stop the counterplay. Right? Because the yeah. the counterplay is attached to right. in the cost of it. Uh, the, the tapping and drawing, you know, you can overcome that with things like absolute release ball and uh, you can punish them through like Kowitsukai. Um, but short of something like Swift Regeneration Cooler or like Almighty Resistance, there's not a whole bunch that you're doing to, to punish uh, Zamasu straight up. So in terms of where do I think the, the format goes from here, how am I preparing? I'm asking myself, what other decks can I, I leverage with Zamasu correctly? Um, how do I check, you know, the, the trouble card, you know, the challenging cards are... The Cell deck as a whole doesn't necessarily have a have, have a linchpin. Maybe the Dark Broly engine. I, I guess you could say that if you can stop the Dark Broly Overwhelming Evil from hitting the board, that stops the whole ball and that stops most of that. Um, but then asking yourself... Yeah, so how do I check that? And then how do I check uh, Violent Rush Bojack, which is just a basically making Icarus Gohan a Soul Striker in and of itself, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Or is there another deck or another leader that can leverage Bojack well? Um, so I, I, I'd ask myself, how can I, you know, what are the criteria for Bojack? Um, I can play it in any deck. Um, I need to play blue and yellow cards in the deck, um, and I need to arrival. So then I'm asking myself, how can I take advantage of any of that? Um, arrival is probably the easiest thing to take advantage of. So I'm asking myself, where leaders like Launch or Set Eight Beerus um, or Surge Broly, um, you know, how can I combo cards to make or not Surge Broly? What was it? Oh, Vidal, because Vidal can combo skill this pretty easily okay. too. Yeah, so like, like, how can I utilize other leaders that abuse the combo step and arrival? Um, how can I use shenanigans with that to to facilitate Bojack? That makes sense. So what what's interesting though is if someone was to just pick up a deck and say, "Okay, I want to play Gogeta Zeno," and just play it, there's no analysis behind it. But if you can look at the format and say, "Okay," Soul Striker, one of the most powerful decks, right? Zamasu the Eliminator shuts it down. Let's look at what decks are doing well. It's a ton of decks with Zamasu the Eliminator. So now I mm-hmm. need to either be on... What that's telling us is I need to be on a deck that can effectively play Zamasu the Eliminator or effectively shut down their play by either going under it to counter the Zamasu or have your own effect that's just as powerful that can help to shut Correct. down that other person's turn. Yeah, I, I, I love that um, Kawutsukai right now is the card that I think is the best placed for that, but I'm not. It's it's a hard challenge to find. Uh, again, you mentioned absolute release ball. Um, being able to make sure they don't get to tap and draw, and you get to untap an energy, that sounds powerful to me. Um, I mean, that's basically why Galactic Buster is great, right? Because yeah. it untaps yeah. an energy on your thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a interesting place to think. Um, have you put any thought into any uh, fringe competitive leaders that you think might have a good place in, you know, the next the next uh, rotation of the door? So I'm I just probably last week got my I would say my first real competitive games back in since I took a break f- from my accident um, yeah. and I haven't played for months. So 
I feel like my opinion isn't too strong right now just because I haven't been able to put that time in so far. Uh, I've only tested Gogeta Xeno. Uh, that deck feels strong. I, I feel like Hatchjack is well positioned as well. Um, but I have no testing with Hatchjack to back that up. And I don't like giving opinions I can't back up with <laughs> if I yeah. haven't put the work in. But on paper, I feel like Hatchjack um, is definitely a leader that can slide in there. Yeah. And then to be fair, I, I haven't put the time in either to to be overly confident in my opinions too um but like in, in terms of like where, where do i foresee the format going or you know in those three references you know i believe it's a revolving door right now because there's like a there's a clear question um how do you overcome uh bojack the or bojack violent rush plus zamasu the eliminator um and assuming that there there is an answer to it then you have the next part of the revolving door. Right. Um, when that revolving door gets back to the original point, which is the answer to the problem is play Soul Striker. Now you have that triangle, or you know, possibly it's not triangle shape, but you you have that um, that triangle esque format. Well, yeah, and um, it starts it starts to simplify things, right? Because if you just mm -hmm. look at the format, because I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, it's, it's just a, like a really wide format," and it's like, well, that doesn't just mean play anything because it's a wide format. You have to break mm -hmm. down what is causing that to happen. And you have to look at what people are playing, what's making them strong. And everything you just said to break that down really, really helps with that, I think. When if you're if you're taking an event hyper competitively, that needs to be the mindset. What is the problem in front of me? I have a hypothesis that I can solve the problem with this solution. Uh, I'm going to apply that theory, that hypothesis through the act of participating in a tournament. Um, we're going to see how that aligns with my results. And then if if my prediction is off, I have to ask myself, was it my fault? Was I playing poorly? Was it matchups? Did I get statistically improbable data? Like, you know, you might take Gogeta's Zeno to your next regional. It might, it might win the event and you might go, you know, 04. Yeah, but you played against a whole bunch of different decks that you didn't anticipate to. Right. Um, so understanding that when you're being results oriented in tournaments, especially when you're only playing a couple of tournaments of format, with how often cards come out and the frequency of events right now, um, understanding that you have a very small sample size that you're working with, and if you need to throw out that data and maintain your same hypothesis, um, be okay with that. But you have to give up your ego in the process and that's not always easy <laughs> yeah uh no i i 100 agree we always used to say check your ego at the door when we ran the martial arts school <laughs> people who didn't would get uh <laughs> they would get humbled is what we would call it <laughs> humbled, facing the mat <laughs> oh man well th this has been a really phenomenal discussion i think um and it, i think straying away from Okay, here's writing down step by step how to build a deck. I think it's pulling back from that and looking at it a little bit more holistically and saying, okay, here's certain principles um, that you should be thinking of and certain strategies, certain uh, just mindset you should be in when you're building, understanding the format that you're building for, breaking that mm -hmm. format down, and then finding a way to exploit it. Um, that I don't know. I, 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 this, this was amazing. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we start wrapping up? No, I mean, I'll, I'll just finish off by saying 
the reason that mindset has always made sense to me and always led to my success and the success of people that I've play tested with is there is no ego when it comes to that approach. This is how I view the format. This is my understanding based on results, based on games that I've played, people I've talked to. This is my overall as objective as I can understanding. And then you're asking yourself, well, what are the things that I can challenge? Uh, what are the things that I want to utilize within, you know, the, the pillars of that format? Um, and when you do that, it doesn't become, I want to play my favorite deck, or it doesn't become, I want to prove that this deck is, is good enough because I, I think it's better than people give it credit for. And those are all fine reasons to play a deck, don't get me wrong. But if your goal is to win a tournament, unless you specifically say, I want to win a tournament with Red Jiren, uh, shout out to Giancarlo for his performance over the weekend. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you have to be able to, to put all that to the side. And you know that might mean playing a deck you're uncomfortable with. Um, if, if I'll give one piece of, one last piece of negative stat. Um, people often tend to use the word uh, play styles. I don't like playing that deck because I'm not a control player. That's not my, my style of play. I personally think that's a crutch. I think that there is one way to play a game. It is optimally, and that is making the best decisions you can every turn with the knowledge you have at the time that you're making it. If you make the correct decision with the knowledge you have every time, 100% of the time, you will win as many games as variance allows you to. I love that way of thinking about it because I've also kind of thought similarly. I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a preference, right? Like I don't think there's anything wrong with like preferring to play an aggressive um, deck, right? Like that, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I do agree with you that just saying that's not my play style. It's just an out, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's just an out right. that, or it's like you didn't want to put in the work to learn the deck. Exactly. I don't want to put the time into changing my mindset um, even though there's probably information out there that objectively this is a, a better decision to make for for this tournament. And uh, the people that are willing to go outside of their comfort zone um, tend to continue to have really high results. Um, you know, Marcel Russell is a great example of that. He's He, he historically came into the game as an aggro player, um, but he's taken many non-aggressive strategies and won tournaments and been really successful with it. And it's because he realized that sometimes uh, aggro isn't, isn't, this isn't the day for it. It's not for this tournament, not for this format. Um, and all the pros, they're able to do that. They can see the forest through the trees and say, this is the problem at hand. This is how I solve it. Um, and this is the work I need to do to make that happen. And that's what will really separate a good player from a great player. Jimmy, this is such a pleasure. Yeah. You know me, if anyone ever, you know, feel free to reach out to me on, on, Facebook, um, I pop into the 3XG Discord a decent bit. I pop into the Hermitcrab Discord from time to time. Um, happy to help anybody think through anything. Um, as always, continue to give Hermit Style support. They're one of the best content creators out there. I'm more than thankful for the opportunity to catch up with you as always. And I'm super excited to see what comes next for you. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to have you on the show. Uh, hopefully we can we can do it again soon. And uh, not so long this time uh, from the last time we talk. And yeah, man. It, uh, it was not, a blast. not November 29th, twenty seven. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll, we'll shoot for two years this time. <laughs> oh, man. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Later on. Thanks again. 
And that is going to wrap up our episode today. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. It was a pleasure having Zap on the show. Like I said, I've played Dragon Ball with Zap for years. And uh, I really have wanted him on the show for a while because of his insight into deck building and his experience. Not just in Dragon Ball, but he's he's had a lot of experience in competitive strategic gaming. Um, As you heard, he runs, you know, he he leads an esports team. So really cool stuff. Let me know what you guys thought. Let me know where you would like us to go when we when it's time for the next deck building episode. This is a series I'd like to continue to expand upon because I think there's there's a lot in it that is really hard to just put into one or two episodes. So let me know what you guys thought. I'm going to wrap it up here. Like I said, no other segments today. Um, got a lot of work to do on the world tournament, which hopefully I will see you all tomorrow i'll be commentating with john carlo and uh hopefully we'll see a wild mic appear on stream as well so stay tuned for that and i'll see you then guys